0: If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Galatians, if you would. We'll be in Galatians chapter 4, and we will pick up in verse 4 in just a moment. We're just going to read two verses, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 4 and 5 today. And as you no doubt know, Christmas is soon going to be upon us, and over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to put our say that we've been doing out of Luke, we're going to put that on hold, and um, we're going to be focusing on the, uh, the, the Christmas season Christ's first advent and um, today we're going to look at a passage that's um, it's not what you might call a traditional Christmas passage it's, it's a, a passage that uh, I mean Paul is writing to these Galatian Christians and understand he's not writing a Christmas devotional okay he's, he's not writing talking about um, the theological issues about Christ's first advent he's not uh, he's not even specifically teaching um, about Christ's birth, but rather he's using what we're going to read today as an illustration of a truth that he's trying to teach his readers. See, his readers were Christians who were being tempted to add to the gospel. They were being tempted to add uh, stuff to Jesus. In other words, they were trying to add works of the law. They were trying to add obedience to the Mosaic law, to faith in Christ, and And um, and and Paul is laboring and telling them that, that salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone, apart from works of the law. And so it doesn't make any sense to try and uh, heap up these extra things that, that, uh, that, that, that people can't keep anyway out of the Mosaic Law. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, do any good, it doesn't make any sense to heap those on to new believers. And so what, what Paul says is, is that people are in bondage, apart from Christ, people are in bondage not only to sin, but also to the whole Mosaic system. And it's impossible to, to, to escape apart from Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you are made free. And therefore, again, it doesn't make any sense to heap these, these additional uh, things that would only enslave someone. To It doesn't make any sense to put those on to somebody who's free in Christ. And so Paul is using uh, our text today to illustrate a truth, uh, namely that truth, that Well, um, I'm just having a hard time today, guys. Hopefully, hopefully, it'll make sense and it'll get better when we get into it. So let's just go ahead and stand if you're able to. We'll pick up in Galatians 4 and we'll start reading at verse 4. And the point of what I want you to see today is that at God's appointed time, Jesus took on flesh in order to redeem sinners and provide adoption into God's family. Look at verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Thank you. You may be seated. Now our text breaks down into three main uh, sections, three main headings, and the first thing I want you to see is the moment of Christ's coming. The moment of his coming. Look back at verse 4, and I want you to see, well, when you look at verses 4 and 5, you'll notice that it has all kinds of phrases. It's one thing right after another. It's not the one big long sentence that, that, that flows on real smoothly. It's, it's all these different pieces that, that fit together to make the whole. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break up uh, these, these verses and take it bit by bit. And the first thing I want you to see is in verse 4. When the fullness of time came. When the fullness of time came. Now the, the wording that's used there literally means that time was filled up. You think about a, a glass of, of water. And that glass would represent time. And, and, and as things went on, when it got to the, the, the very, very top, it was filled up. It, it was the appropriate time. The, the time that God had appointed was, uh, was fulfilled. It, 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 was, it, 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 it culminated in the birth of Christ. Now, I want you to, to look at our text and think about what you know about Scripture. God in eternity past set a date for Christ to be born. There was, there, there was a moment in history when God said, this is when Jesus will be born. He was, he was not a moment early. He was not a moment late. We don't know why he waited until he did exactly. I mean, he had a pinpoint in history, and he was right on time. Just like when, when Jesus opened uh, up, his, his, his friend Lazarus was died. You remember, uh, Lazarus was dead for four days. And, and you look at it and say, well, Jesus was four days late because he got there after Lazarus had already been in the grave. You say, well, Jesus was four, day late, four days late, he was right on time. And no matter what it looks like on the outside, we have a timetable, but God has a different timetable, and he's always right on time. Now, unfortunately, many of us can't say the same, can we? I mean, many of us are habitually late, a few of us are habitually early, but God is right on time every time. Now, his birth, Jesus' birth, was not happenstance. It was not, uh, it, it was not an accident, it, was, it, it wasn't something that just happened. God didn't have... He didn't put all the dates of history on ping pong balls and put them in a big cylinder and draw it out like some sort of a Christmas lottery. That's not what he did. He didn't put a timeline of history up on the wall, close his eyes and throw a dart and say, "Well, that's that's just when Jesus will be born." Every moment of everyone's life was orchestrated by God. I mean, we're talking about people getting married, we're talking about moves of uh, different locations, we're talking about world events, we're talking about everything was ordained by God and culminated in the birth and life of Christ. Every marriage, every, uh, everything was guided by the providential hand of God to culminate in Jesus being born when he was. So in what way was the time full? Look again at verse 4. It says, The fullness of time came. Uh, your Bible may translate that when, uh, at just the right time is the idea. Well, first it was full politically. It was full politically. And what I mean by that is, is Jesus was born in a period in that part of the world of relative peace. Now, it's no, it's, it, it's, it, it's no secret this is not a peaceful world. I mean, all over the world, there's somebody fighting somebody all the time. But, but at this time, Jesus was born into a, a time frame of relative peace. Because not too long before he was born, there arose a, a, a nation called Rome. And Rome was the superpower of the, of the world. And they had instituted what they called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And what they would do is if there was rebellion, they'd squash it. And if, if you got out of line with Rome, they'd crucify you. So they kept peace. And, and it, was, it was peace with an iron fist sometimes, but there was peace. And before them, there arose another superpower called Greece. And there was a, a guy you probably have heard of by the name of Alexander the Great. He was, he was one of the generals uh, that, that, that expanded the Grecian Empire across vast swaths of the known world at that point. Now, you look at that and you say, well, that's just, that's just happened, happenstance. Well, guess what? guess what happened whenever he expanded the, the Grecian Empire? When he did that, he also took along the, the, the Greek language. And so all over that part of the world, there was what you'd have, what you call a universal language. People would understand, they would read, they would write, they would speak Greek. Before that, there were empires such as the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and you read about them in, in the Old Testament. They came along and they would exile the Jewish people. They would, they would, because of Israel's sin, they would come in and they, they took vast numbers of Jews and, took them all, and spread them all throughout the world all throughout these different uh, nations of the world. And again, you look at that and you say, well, that's something bad. That's something that, 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 that there was a response to the, the, the sin of the people, and it's true, it was. But here's what happened. When they went out to these different parts of the world, guess what they took with them? Their scriptures. And so everywhere that they went, not only did they take the scriptures, they also, they also had that influence on the people, so that people all around the world would then be exposed to this, uh, to, to, to this idea of a Messiah that's going to be coming. And not only that, but they also uh, have places of worship called synagogues. So I, I say all that. All these pieces on their own look like unrelated pieces. But think about it. Here's what happened. When Jesus came onto the scene, and in the, and in the infant years of the church, you have relative peace, Oh, the, the, the Romans also had roadways. They, they had built roadways all over the place. You heard all roads lead to Rome? I mean, they, here's how good their roads were. There are roads that were built 2,000 years ago. Parts of them still exist, and you can go to them. Now, some of our, our engineers at MoDOT need to take some lessons because we get a road that's put there six months later, and it's, it's, it's in shambles. And they've got roads 2,000 years old, and you can still go on them. And, and so what all these roads did is they interconnected all these cities and towns all across the empire. So here's what you have. You have, you have Jesus being born, and, and again, in, in the early years of the church, into a time of peace. There was, there was relative safety as you would travel from one place to another. You had the means to travel because you had all these all these roads and different things. You had, in, in many of those places, Jewish uh, people that had the scriptures there that prepared the way for the Messiah, and they have places of worship where people like Paul could go and reason from the scriptures with the people that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, again, you look at all these things, and, and sometimes if, if you were a Jew that was getting exiled during the Babylonian Empire, you'd say, this is really bad. Or you'd look at, at, uh, at Alexander the Great and some of the stuff he did, and you'd say, well, this is really bad. God would take that bad, and he used it for good. And so he prepared the world politically so that whenever Jesus came onto the scene and that message of the gospel went out, people would hear and understand in, their, in, in, in Greek, there was the means of, of communication. There, there were all these things that added up and prepared the way for Jesus' birth. It was a time prepared. It was filled up politically. It's also full prophetically. Now, we're not going to have time to look at all the scriptures that, that point to the timing of the birth of Christ. But I'll just mention a, a couple of things very, very briefly. First, Daniel prophesied that the time of the Messiah could be calculated from the, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And he said, when this happens, this number of years, that's when the Messiah is going to come. I mean, he specifically said this is the window to be looking for the Messiah. Not only that, that Jesus would be coming, but that he would die and, and so forth passages like Malachi 3 speak of God coming into this temple in the person of the terminology that's used there is the messenger or the angel of the covenant now the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Rome it's never been rebuilt so 70 AD is a hard cutoff date for the Messiah to have come I mean all these things point to the birth of Christ it was a it was the time that was prepared for him to come next I want you to see the manner of his coming look again at your text the manner of his coming it says God sent forth his son he sent forth his son it was a real sacrifice it was a real giving on the part of the father he sent the one and only the, 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 the unique one he sent his son to die now, understand, he didn't send him simply with the knowledge that Jesus would die. He sent him specifically so that Jesus would die. Now, the word that's used here, it has the idea of sending somebody out or commissioning them. And there are some Unitarians, for instance, who believe that Jesus didn't exist before Bethlehem, that uh, that, that when it speaks about the word and, and things like that, when it speaks about Jesus, that... that That's talking about him as as an idea of God and so forth. But listen, notice what it says. This is no mere idea. God sent forth his son. He didn't send an idea. He sent a person. He didn't send a power. He didn't send a desire. This person, this Jesus, had an existence before he was born in Bethlehem. He was sent from the Father. But don't misunderstand because there are some who are enemies of the cross who say, Oh, well, how loving of God. He sent Jesus to be brutalized. How loving that must be to, for, for, for a father to, to send a son to be brutalized on behalf of another people. Understand that Jesus volunteered, so to speak. He was not an unwilling participant. You might jot this down in, in your bulletin. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself. It wasn't that this was done to him, this was done by him. He, he, he wasn't emptied by an outside force. He emptied himself. He laid aside some of those divine prerogatives. And the Bible says he took on human flesh. He, became, he, he came to this earth. John chapter 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came. He, he volunteered for the mission. It was a willing, a loving, self-sacrifice on the part of Jesus. Jesus chose to die for the sins of his people. Next, I want you to see in our text it says but when the fullness of time came God sent forth his son born of a woman born of a woman now I just want to pause here for a moment why do you think the apostle would have mentioned that why do you think he specifically said Jesus was born of a woman I like to read biographies and autobiographies because I like reading people's stories. And usually, in those, in those books, there will be some discussion about somebody's early life, where they were born, who their parents were, so on and so forth. Never once have I ever read a biography that said, so-and-so was born of a woman. Well, of course, right? I mean, why, why would we say somebody was born of a woman? How else were they going to get here? I mean it seems self-evident. So why did Paul feel it necessary to point out Jesus was born of a woman? Well, with this statement, Paul is doing at least two things. Number one, he's showing Jesus had a divine nature. See, there's a prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it's very specific. And I I went for years, my whole life. I had I'd read this, I had heard this at Christmas time, and I had never had noticed it until. Uh, a couple years ago it's very specific it says unto us a child is born there's his humanity unto us a son is given there's his deity his two natures Jesus was fully man and fully God he was truly man truly God he was more than a man He he was not mere flesh and blood he had an existence outside of and before his humanity in other words Jesus did not get his start in Bethlehem nor did he just arrive by teleportation. It's not like he just suddenly appeared. He wasn't a specter floating around. He, he, he didn't just magically show up. He was born of a woman, specifically the Virgin Mary. Now, when he uses this language, he was born of a woman, there are echoes here from the very first book in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you remember God had created the heavens and the earth, and, and all, the, all the stuff was very good. God had, had put Adam and Eve in the garden, Eve was deceived by the serpent, they ate the fruit. You know the, you know all the all the story. They sinned, they violated God's command. God came to him, he confronted them. And if you've ever had kids, you'll recognize what they did. It wasn't my fault. He looked at Adam, what have you done? Wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. Not only is it her fault, God, it's your fault. And she said, It wasn't me the serpent deceived me. You look at the serpent, serpent's like, yep, yeah, it's, you know, and there's there, he, he doesn't have anybody to point to. And God curses him, curses the creation because of the sin of man. And here's what he says in Genesis 3.15, speaking to the serpent, here's what he said. Now I want you to hear these, these the, the first announcement of the coming Messiah. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now I just want you to pause. That's not the way biology works. Your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Notice that this this seed, this offspring is of the woman, not of a man. Jesus had no earthly father. He was not descended from human parents as people typically are. It was a virgin birth. He was born of a woman, but next it shows us that Jesus not only was divine, but he was also truly human too. He had a full, legitimate humanity. he again, he wasn't some sort of a disembodied spirit. He wasn't only God, but the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I referenced this passage earlier, Philippians chapter two verses six to eight, speaking of Jesus says... Um, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was born of of a woman with the same nature that we have. He took on our frailties. He took on our weaknesses. And the one who spoke... And all the galaxies leapt into existence. All the stars, all the planets, everything. All the comets, all the asteroids. And there was some weird stuff in space. And we've, we've been sent out the, this James Webb telescope and we've been seeing all sorts of, of new discoveries. We've been seeing galaxies we've never seen before. God did all that. He spoke and all that came into existence. And that that very same one in his humanity... He was worn out after a day of ministry. He took a nap. He got hungry. He was tempted in all things as we are, the Bible says, and yet without sin. He had a real human nature which allows him to understand the struggles and the difficulties that we, that we face. And Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that because of that, because he understands, he can now rush to the aid of those who call on his name. He was born of a woman. But you'll notice he goes on to say in verse 4, He was born under the law. Jesus as a man was subject to the law of God. Now you know the commandments. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Honor your father and mother. All those things, those apply to Jesus in his humanity as they do to us. And listen, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments for instance they apply to you today just the same as they apply to me and just as they apply to Jesus in his humanity. And the thing is, each of us falls short of that very same law. Each of us, each and every day, falls short. If we we're just measured by the Ten Commandments, none of us live up to it a single day of our lives. We all violate the law. We all violate the law of God and the things that we think, the things we say, the things we do, the attitudes we have. We don't love God like we should. We don't honor our father and mother like we should. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We're sexually immoral. We're puffed up with pride. We we slander. We backbite. Jesus had that law applied to him, and he fulfilled it perfectly. Never once did he mess up. Never once did he fail. Never once did he sin. He did what we cannot do. But he wasn't just subject to the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law in every way. And when we put our faith in him, when we trust him for salvation, that per- perfect, perfect obedience to the law of God is applied to us as if we were the ones who kept it perfectly. We are declared righteous in God's eyes. He was born under the law. And last, I want you to see verse 5. So that, here's the reason. Here's the meaning of His coming. Here's the purpose. Two things. Number one, that He might redeem us. So that He might redeem those who are under the law. That's you and me. And number two, that we might receive the adoption of his sons. So first, He came to redeem us. And the imagery here is one that we're not super familiar with. It's something that we've only read about. But, but back then, they had... They had slavery, and when somebody uh, was enslaved because of, uh, sometimes they'd sell themselves into slavery because of debt and, and different things like that. What would happen, of course, is if you're enslaved, if you're in bondage, you can be bought by somebody else. And so what would happen is sometimes if somebody was enslaved, let's say because of debt, their family members would purchase them. Now, they wouldn't purchase them and then make them be their slave, but rather they would purchase them to secure their freedom. They would redeem them. They would pay the cost. And that's what Paul is saying in, in chapter 3. He, says, he tells us that the people are enslaved to sin. But now in chapter 4, he, he shifts the focus a little bit, and he says we're in bondage not only to sin, but also to the whole Mosaic system of all the rules and regulations and, and, and sacrifices and, and all the, all the rituals and, and all these different things. And Jesus came to redeem us and free us from all that. He has liberated us. He has paid the price with his own blood. And now the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They'll be freed. They'll be released from bondage. They'll be redeemed. The last thing that says, the, the, the second reason that Jesus came was he came, and this is tied into it, that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. Now adoption is something that's near and dear to many of our hearts for a time. Almost every kid in this church was adopted. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's pretty neat. But even if you've not been at a part of adoption directly, you know what adoption is. It's when somebody goes from one family to another family. And they have all the rights, honors, privileges, responsibilities, everything else that a biological child has. And that the Bible says that is what God has done for us. If you are a Christian, you are as much a child of God as the, as the Son. Not in the same way. Jesus is part of God's family, so to speak, by nature. We're not. We're part of God's family by adoption. But the Bible says that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And what a tremendous blessing... That is, and, and what I'm saying is that Jesus is the reason we celebrate Christmas. It's not because, I mean, listen, I'm looking forward to having some time off work. I know those of you in school, you're looking forward to having some time off school. I mean, it's good to get together with family. It's good to get together with friends. I mean, presents are fun to get. I, this, is a, this is a special time of year, all the music and the lights and, and everything. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come so that we might have a long vacation. Jesus didn't come to, to bring a ray of happiness into the gloom of despair. The Bible says, verse 5, He came to redeem us and provide adoption into God's family. That's why Jesus came. And that happens. You're redeemed, you're adopted into His family when you put your faith in Christ it's not jesus plus works the law it's not jesus plus good effort it's not jesus plus church attendance it's not jesus plus having your name on the church roll it's not jesus plus uh taking the 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 lord's supper it's not jesus plus baptism it's not jesus plus reading your bible it's not jesus plus anything it's jesus faith in him and him alone you're not a child of god by default You're not a child of God by your heritage. You're not a child of God by your country of origin. You are a child of God by faith alone in Christ alone. No plus, no minus, just Jesus. And today, if you will trust Him as your Savior, if you will repent of your sin, if you will turn from from your, your, your way of life and you'll trust Him to save you, to forgive you, to make you right with God, to redeem you, He will wash you white as snow. He will put you into God's family. He'll transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He'll cast off that bondage of sin, that bondage of self-effort, and he will liberate you. He will free you. He will save your soul. Won't you trust him? Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. and as you stand to ask you bow your heads and close your eyes and with nobody looking around I first want to speak to you if you are not a Christian there is no better time to become a Christian than today there is no better time to turn from your sin and to put your faith in Christ than right now So I'll do it I'll do it next week. I'll do it tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today if you hear his voice don't harden your hearts. The Bible says. There's not a magical formula. There's not a specific prayer you pray. It's just a simple repentance of sin that means you have a change of mind you recognize the sinfulness of your sin you turn from it and you turn to God in faith for those of us who are Christians what a blessing it is that Christ has redeemed us it's not based on us. It's not based on our good deeds. It's not based on us holding on to him. And I'm thankful because if that was the case, none of us would make it. But when you put your faith in Christ, you become an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for um thank you for providing a way of salvation. Lord, I ask that you would help each of us today as we <clears throat> as we consider our own lives, we consider our own hearts. Lord help us to um, to make decisions that please you. Lord, maybe there's some some change we need to make in our life, some uh, some relationship we need to to change some apology we need to make some commitment we need to fulfill. God, for that person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them today and let them experience the freedom that comes in Christ alone. Lord, again, we thank you for for your grace that reaches down and saves to the uttermost. In Jesus' name. Amen.